Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to a new series entitled 30 Random Questions. The intention is to do a deep dive on a 9320 contributor and find out what makes them tick, what excites and inspires them. Who are they? We've already grilled Asan, and next up in the interrogation hot seat we have Chris, a man steeped in culture, a referee, but let's not hold that against him, a lifelong blue naturally. Let's get to know him that bit better. Hi Chris, you there? I am, Steve. Good morning. Good morning um, to you. A man steeped in culture, but the caveat is he has he's a referee. So is, <laughs> is, is, is it a contradiction in terms? Can two things be true at the same time, to be steeped in culture and to be a referee? Uh, you never see Howard Webb in a library, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> that's the, this, Yeah, there may be an element of truth about that. <laughs> uh, before we begin some housekeeping, you will be asked 30 questions, of which you can refuse to answer only one. And if you do so, it will be replaced by a devilish other inquiry. Mostly your answers will be accepted and we'll move on. But the question master is free to ask follow-up questions if deemed necessary or appropriate. Are you happy to start? Uh, yes, let's do it. <laughs> let's do this. When and where were you at your happiest? Oh, God. Um... Do you know what I'm gonna say? Do you know what I'm gonna say? It's a bit philosophical. This response. I'm gonna say never, because I never. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you why. Because I never want to have been at my happiest. Mm, it's all Be downhill after that. Yeah, because I because in my life I don't I don't do big, momentous things like like I, I always had this I always had this fear of kind of anti climax and, and sort of that so when I was a kid and I used to go to a lot of gigs I was used to get this post gig blues you know when you look forward to something so much and it taught me about like if, if you like if you, if you plan something really really big once it's over it's like you've got that sort of post period so I, I guess I guess my thought is is that I'm always working to try and be as happy as possible so, so I think I've never been at my, if I've been at my happiest so far, I'll be quite disappointed because I've been very, very happy and I'm very, very happy now. But what I hope is I continue to be really happy and create moments and be with people that, that, that made me happy. Like right now, I couldn't be thinking of anything better to do than doing this pod with you now. So, so, oh. so, so that makes me really happy. You know, so it's, yeah, so I've not, I've never been at my happiest because I'm all, I choose happiness in everything in life. So, so, the so there's never, a, there's never a, a plateau to it. It's, it's a constant, I think. And I do get what you mean because when you said that then about the kind of you know the, um, the blues that came comes after a big event, um, mm. I was reminded of a time when I was on the dole years ago, and Christmas would be great, New Year would be brilliant, and then all of a sudden, you know, January second, everyone would go back to work, and mm. you were back to being on the dole again, and reality, and all the rest of it. And, yeah, so I get that. I, I completely get that. I think life, for me, life is a is a series of, of, of small events which then combined mm. are, are, are a fantastic whole. And that's how I'm constantly planning to do little things either for myself or with my family or my partner. Just little things to look forward to. And, and the concussive effect of them creates this feeling of happiness, really. It's, you, you've got to work at it, but the payoff is more than worth it. Lovely stuff. What is your second favourite club in English football? Uh, Manchester City B team. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, God. 
Do you know what? When you said English football, if you just said, well, who's your second favourite club? Hmm. I'd say AC Milan. Right, okay. Because I, I, ju- I don't you know what, I don't think I have a second favourite. There's teams who my mates follow. So, so I always keep an eye out for like, for you know, the results of Luton, of Grimsby Town, of um, Sheffield Wednesday, because I've got mates who are kind of, you know, devoted followers of those. But I don't mm. really have a team I feel a real affiliation for. But when I was younger, and the Channel 4 Football Italia programme, and James Richardson was at its peak, I had this obsession with AC Milan and, and the players. And I think it was the kit. More than anything, yeah. I think if we if we play if we'd played AC Milan in the Champions League final, I might have struggled a bit with that. Really? <laughs> well, not really, but it, but <laughs> but, the, but the, 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 there's a, there's a romantic there's a romantic element there for me. Like like in that early to mid nineties period, that Milan side was at such were dripping with such great players, and I just um, you know Italian football was very different then. And and I used to I, I used to know quite a lot about Italian football in that early nineties mid nineties period. A lot of it was triggered not just by that program but by the uh, World Cup in Italy in nineteen ninety as well. So I don't really have a second favorite club in English football, but I do I do have a lot of time for AC Milan, and I can't really rationalise it. It's just I just like the kit, I like them, I like the players at that time in the nineties. So yeah. Well, I think three of my favourite top ten footballers all play for. Milan, uh, Maldini, Baresi, mm. and Van Basten. So, uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. It's um, I've always preferred him over Inter. Anyway, I've always seen Inter as you know that kind of reputation they had in the '60s, playing mm. Celtic and being ultra defensive. That's kind of never left. I've always kind of associated them with that, with being quite dour. Um, mm. What is your favourite and least favourite flavour of crisps? Okay, definitely. My favourite flavour of Chris is prawn cocktail. Okay. I've, I've just, yeah. But my least, thing, I don't really like Chris very much because they, I sound like such an old man here. They, <laughs> they give me ulcers on my tongue. Right. Because it's like, it's like that, the acidity of, 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 on the fat. Um, but definitely prawn cocktail. And my least favourite, and I don't even know if they do it anymore, but when I was a kid, they used to do a bacon flavour. Right, and the flavour was it was really artificial, but it, it it stayed at the back of your throat for the for for the entire day. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think bacon flavour because of all the of all the flavours to try and mimic bacon flavour. You know, bacon I think is one is one of the worst. But as I say, I don't eat crisps that much, but yeah, prawn cocktail definitely favourite, and I'd say bacon my least favourite uh, crisp flavour. Okay, I was going to take this question out. I asked Ace on this, but I really want to get your take on it. So after I've asked this. Um, I'll, I'll be changing it in the future but if Pep Guardiola went into a time machine back to the early 80s and you know considering the back pass laws back then the state of the pitches what players could get away with um, and he took charge of a typical English club from that era would he have been able to revolutionise the game to the same extent he has? Uh, y- yeah because I think it's all about context in 20, 30 years' time, we don't know what advances are going to take place in football that will improve the game even more. It's, you know, I mean, we can't imagine kind of better playing services or the, the ball or, or, the, or the boots or the, or the kit, but there will be some sort of development that, that will show that incremental improvement of the game. And I think Pe- Pep is an, is an innovator. He, he, you know, he, he's, a, he's a student of the game. And I think whichever 
era he was in, and no matter what the conditions were, he would he would find a way to I think reinvent a lot about football because that's what he's done. Uh, because you know, the era that he would played in is different to the era that he manages in yes. now. So he yeah. so he shows that he, they can make he can make that change. He can make that shift. So yeah, I think that the circumstances and the period of time would become irrelevant if somebody is. I use. I'm so careful to use the word genius, and I still because I, 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 I just think it's, it's a massively overused phrase. But in in modern football, in terms of managerial uh, acumen, Pep is the nearest thing to that we have to a genius in football. And I think that that genius would apply no matter where it was. If Mozart was allowed alive now, he would be doing genius things with digital technology. Yeah, you know, as it as it is, he, he did it with he did it with acoustic instruments at the time. So yeah, categorically, no matter what, um, I I think he'd have banned the goalkeeper from picking the ball up anyway <laughs> before yeah. the back pass rule was changed. But um, yeah, I I I think he's he he, he he's not. Guardiola is not a product of the time. He's just a genius man, man, um, manager who happens to be managing at this particular period. Well said. Which Manchester City player, past or present, never gets the props he deserves? I just heard Hattie in the background. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. Ah, <laughs> it's so she's sweet. Showing... Yeah, she, she, she's got an answer. Yeah, she's got... So, I, okay... One of my favourite players, very much of that, it's a sort of Joe Royal era, uh, was Kevin Horlock. And, and, yeah. and, and I think that, I think he did get credit. And I think he was respected and admired. But I still don't think he got the credit that he really deserved because he was there coming through all that period, of, that traumatic period of time. Yes. And, and, and also he, and he scored, he, he scored the Jekko goal against Gillingham. He, he scored the goal that created the platform for then Dickoff to score the equaliser, and without that, Dickoff's goal would have been meaningless. So, and I just liked Horlock. I thought he was a great servant for the club, and, and I thought he had, I thought he had limited ability, but he absolutely maximised uh, and capitalised on that ability. And I, I just think he's he deserved more credit. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um... Who are the most overrated band in the history of modern music? Can I come back to this to, to this question, <laughs> Steve? Because I just I just I, I need to I, I'll think about it as we're talking. Is that all right? Of course it is. I'm not going to say I'm not answering that one. So, but I just need to have a think about it because there's a few that I want to be able to really identify. I think. So. <laughs> well, what's what's interesting it is a similar question to this. The one I took out to replace with this was the one that Asan asked. A bit more time on, so uh, okay. it must be the one that trips people up. Would yeah. you like to be famous? Um, well, that's assuming that I'm not already, but no. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, okay, there's two ways of looking at that. It, it's like, do you want all the trappings that come with the fame? Mm. Um, but then I, I, I guess, I guess that my response would be. It, it would depend what I'm famous for, really. If I was famous for, for making a, a really positive impact mm. in the world and kind of changing people's lives or, or being just a really positive force, then, then, I, then, then, then yes, if it was something that was creditable and was to do with 
like perception or talent or vision, then yes. In terms of the trappings of fame, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, probably not because I've observed how um, suffocating that can be Hmm. um, and how it can be really the antithesis of growth and, and, and freedom. So, but I would say if I, if I was famous, it would be it would absolutely dependent on what I was famous for. I wouldn't want to be famous for being famous. I'd want to be famous for actually having an impact. Okay. Do you ever suffer from imposter syndrome? <laughs> All the, absolutely. Yeah. It's um, it, 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 working in the arts. I don't know anybody who doesn't. Mm, yeah. And And I think it's, if I'm honest, it's part of my MO, really because it's always been there um, I've always felt like an imposter I, I, you know I, I've had a I've had a varied career so far working in arts and culture I've been a theater director I've been a writer I've been a theater producer and, and now um, I'm a director of, of a, a company that creates visual and digital art and throughout every throughout every single period of that time I've always felt that someone's going to come and tap me on the shoulder and say <laughs> yeah, you, you need to leave Chris because we found you out I think the only thing that was different, when I turned 40, it lessened very slightly. Mm. And I think it was connected to that. I just stopped caring what people thought. Um, and it's not that I didn't respect people's opinions, but I was able to to process it to the point at which, as long as I examined my conscience, as long as I was clear with myself, I, I, I could be my own barometer of kind mm. of authenticity, really. But I think it's, I, I use it as a positive thing. If I feel that imposter syndrome there, I, I, I use it to fuel my motivation and my yeah. energy. But, but I don't think it's a negative thing in a way because it stops, it stops us being, I think... Um, arseholes? T- yeah, arseholes is one way, but it stops us, it stops us being, being, I think, complacent, really. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it makes us look around us to see what our peers are doing and to see what the environment looks like. I think imposter syndrome is linked to the fact that we have an idea that there is a, there's an infrastructure that you have to become part of. And actually, for example, when I first got into theatre and, and when, you, when you start to get to certain levels in theatre, you realise that that infrastructure is massively flawed. And, and, and you feel like an outsider, but actually you're not really. Mm. And, and yeah, so, so I think definitely, and I think I'm absolutely not alone. I think almost everybody I know who I work with feel, will, will, feels the same way at, at some point. Thanks for listening to the first 15 minutes of the show. To listen to the full podcast and all our content, including reviews, previews, analysis, quizzes, and much more, go to 9320.com to sign up now or simply click the link in the description. So what are you waiting for? Go to 9320.com now for the best, most passionate, impartial coverage of Manchester City and beyond.